Well, good morning once again. Um, it is good to be here today. Um, has the summer gone fast for anyone else? It has flown by for us. Um, and I, I know for a lot of us, we come to the point of, um, as we approach the, the beginning of a new school year, where we are tired and worn out from this time of rest. And so I just want to, today as we begin, I want to ask you just simply to close your eyes for a minute and breathe. And Father, we thank you for this day. And Father, we are people who um, can be so busy and have so many things going on and running this way and that way. And Father, in, in doing so, simply lose focus inside of you. And so, Father, today, for just a few minutes, help us to re-engage our vision, to focus it on Jesus. And, Father, leave this place renewed and refreshed. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So several years ago, and I've told you about kind of my weight loss journey, I, I got into running and riding and swimming and began to enjoy it quite a bit. When I was growing up in high school, um, running was a four-letter word. Um, it was something your coach made you do if you got in trouble. And that was, as far as I could see, the only um, logical purpose to run. But over the last several years, I've kind of gotten into it and, and racing and learning. And um, learning, there's a lot to think about when you're doing this. There's a lot of planning that goes into this and a lot into the process. Because you don't just go out and run. And there's a difference if you're running 5 miles or if you're running 26.2 miles. In how you prepare and how you train and how you eat and how you rest and recover. And what you actually put out um, energy-wise. Um, in endurance sports, they call it burning matches. It's this understanding that you only have so much that you can give before you literally crash, that you have to um, strategically plan how you're going to expend your energy. And so if you're running a 5K, um, you can go a lot harder early and often than if you're running a half marathon or a marathon. You have to kind of reserve some energy. Um, and, and people, I have a really good friend who is a great athlete, um, far better runner than I am, who actually um, collapsed just before the end of a run, of a race. And you talk to him, and it was nutrition and, and not planning throughout the race to, to do things properly. And for me, um, like I said, he's a better runner than me, but um, for me, it's the competition against myself. It's competing to get better. And so here we have a local race called the Fresh 15. And, and you probably know, especially if you live in Holly Tree, because it blocks your um, life basically for one day out of every year in March. And my first year I ran the 15, Fresh 15, which is... Um, if you don't know, 9.3 miles. 
I ran it, and I ran it in an hour and 26 minutes. And my next year, I ran it an hour and 22, and my goal this year was an hour and 20. And I beat it and made it in an hour and 19 minutes. And so this picture is from mile seven and a half of the race. So we're seven and a half miles into the race, and I'm doing great. Um, I'm laughing. I'm running with friends. I'm talking. I'm having conversation. I'm pushing myself and running my best race that I've run. But I know that last mile and a half of this race is a really difficult course because you have two long, long, drawn-out hills that really are taxing and that cause you to expend a lot more energy. And so this next picture is at mile 9.1. And our staff got a hold of it and added their own comments. But this was when I had just run my fastest mile of the whole race. So I was nine miles into this race, and literally at this point, I had spent everything I had. Like, I had nothing left. And, and that's the goal of these races, is to make sure you have enough to make it to the end, but that you make it to the end with nothing left. To, to give everything you have and just leave it all out there. And so through this series in Proverbs, you can take that down. Um, The caption is irrelevant. <laughs> but through this series in Proverbs, we have been talking about wisdom and what it means to have wisdom. And what we've said from the very beginning of this series is your ability or inability to make wise decisions over time will have a major impact on your life. And we spent the month of July together reading through the book of Proverbs. One proverb for every day of the 31 days. And one of the things you notice as you read the book of Proverbs are there are a lot of do's and there are a lot of don'ts. Do this, don't do this. Do this, don't do this. Don't do this and don't do this and do this. And it's so easy as you read Proverbs to walk away with this list. With this list of things that you're not supposed to do and these things that you are supposed to do and think, well, this is simply the intent of the wisdom tradition to tell you the things to do and the things not to do. But what if the intended purpose goes much deeper than just simply a list of do's and don'ts? What if this wisdom tradition that the authors are sharing with us is far deeper than simply do these things and don't do these things? What if there is something intended for us to walk away with, a deeper understanding into what is happening than simply don't do these things and do these things? Proverbs chapter 3, starting in verse 27. Do not withhold good from those whom it is due. 
when it is in your power to act. Do not say to your neighbor, come back tomorrow and I will give it to you when you already have it with you. Do not plot harm against your neighbor who gives trustfully, who lives trustfully near you. Do not accuse anyone for no reason when they have done you no harm. Do not envy the violent or choose their ways. And you read the text and it's so easy just to simply say, do this and don't do this. Don't, 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 don't. But what if there is more to the wisdom tradition? What if it's not simply do this and don't do this, but rather a deeper understanding of don't do these things because you have given yourself to something greater? And the question, what is it that you have given yourself to? See, there's only so much of ourselves that we have to give. What is it that you have given yourself to? Because there are certain things in this world that are good. There are certain things that you give yourself to, and they are good. But often there are certain things that we don't give ourselves to that may be better. So there is this understanding that there is only so much of you and the question of what do you give yourself to. And so the writer of Proverbs in chapter 1 through 9 has these stock characters, these stand-ins, the evil one, the adulterous woman, the wicked. And these characters allure and they seduce. They've given themselves to nothing greater than the seduction and the destruction of other people. Their sole goal, their sole purpose in life is to seduce and to destroy life. And so in Proverbs chapter 7, starting in verse 10, and this is not on the screen, so I just want you to listen to these words. Then out came a woman to meet him, dressed like a prostitute and with crafty intent. She is unruly and defiant. Her feet never stay at home. Now in the street, now in the squares, at every corner she lurks. And she took hold of him and kissed him. And with a brazen face, she said, a brazen, bold and without shame, today I fulfilled my vows, and I have food from my fellowship offering at home. So I came out to meet you. I looked for you and have found you. I have covered my bed with colored linens from Egypt. I have perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloe, and cinnamon. Come, Let's drink deeply of love till morning. Let's enjoy ourselves with love. My husband is not at home. He has gone along on a long journey. He took a purse filled with money and will not be home till full moon. 
With persuasive words, she led him astray. She seduced him with her smooth talk. All at once, he followed her, listen, like an ox going to slaughter. Like a deer stepping into a noose till an arrow pierces his liver. Like a bird darting into a snare. Little knowing it will cost him his life. And we read Proverbs, and it's so easy just to kind of read it at face value and say, well, this is talking about not committing adultery, but this is bigger than that. This is not just about being seduced sexually. It's about being seduced and allured and pulled away from your true love. It's what Israel constantly found themselves doing in their relationship with God. Seduced and allured and destroyed by the seductive woman, by the wicked, by the one with evil intent. And the language that it uses, it uses the language of a a prostitute walking the street and says her feet never stay home. She is walking around and now in the squares and now in the corner and she lurks and she seduces and she pulls you away with what looks so enticing. There is all around us the choice to cling to God and the seduction that tries to pull us away. And that one that seduces, says dresses like a prostitute, and allures its prey, and then little knowing, the one that gives in, little knowing that it will cost his life. And so the message is, don't give yourself to her. Don't give yourself to her, because this only leads to death. And the question is, is why in the world would you give yourself to something that simply leads to death? Because there's only so much of yourself to give. There there is only so much of you. You only have so much energy. You only have so much wisdom. You only have so much knowledge. You only have this certain capacity for relationships. Why in the world would you give yourself to something that does not lead to life, but leads simply to death? See, this is the narrative of the garden. This is the allure in Genesis 2 and Genesis 3. 
You remember in the garden, there is this tree that's placed in the center. There's two trees placed in the center. There's the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And God says, you can eat from any tree in this garden. And you have one singular purpose here. To be in relationship with me. And so this relationship with me looks like this. Don't eat from this one tree, but every other tree I am providing for you to eat from. Let it give you life, but this tree will lead to death. Everything else here leads to life. Have a relationship with your wife. It leads to life. Have a relationship with me. It leads to life. Eat from these trees that I provided you. It leads to life. Work the ground. I mean, that was their first command in, in 2.15. Work the ground and take care of it. This is your purpose here. This leads to life. So he, he gives them these boundaries for this relationship. And he says, do these things because these things lead to life. But there's this one thing, this one tree in the center of the garden. And if you eat from it, it will lead to death. Don't do it. Avoid it. And then, and then there's the seductive woman from Proverbs that makes an appearance in the garden. I bet you didn't know she was there. But the seductive woman that seduces and destroys life has this intriguing question. Did God really say, don't eat from this tree? Come on, look at it. Look how appealing it is to the eye. Look how pleasing it is. Just taste it. Try it. It will give you life. And it will open your eyes in ways that your eyes have never been opened. And you will see things you have never seen. And you will see a whole new world opened up. Come on and try it. Yeah, the seductive woman. She was there. Seducing, alluring, and destroying. And then you have Adam and Eve who say, well, okay. What harm could it do? You see, they have all of these other choices that lead to life, and they choose the one thing that leads to death. And we think, how in the world could you make the choice to do that? But then again, we make those choices every single day day and we choose to invest our life in things that simply lead to death in proverbs listen to the the language of this woman that's described in proverbs chapter 5 
for the lips of the adulterous woman drip honey. Her speech is smoother than oil. The, the very tactile touch language that's used to describe this woman. But in the end, she is bitter as gall, sharp as a double-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps lead straight to the grave. She gives no thought to the way of life. Her paths wander aimlessly. But she does not know it. Isn't it interesting that we allow something that is rooted in death to seduce us? To, to say, that looks pleasing. That looks appealing. I will give my life. I will give myself to that. See, for so long we have used Fear is the motivating factor for don't do this and don't do that. And do this and don't do that. Be afraid. And if you aren't afraid, then you don't fear God correctly. But the point is not don't do this and do this because you're afraid of God. It's don't do this and do this because God is giving you life. It is freedom, not fear. Fear that is to be our motivating factor for life in Christ. It is freedom and not fear that is to be our motivating factor in our new life with Christ. Don't give yourself to these things because you have given your life to something greater. You are not giving your life to things that are rooted in the grave. You are giving your life to things that are rooted in life. You see, in the wisdom tradition, there is this understanding that you have power and you have energy and you have so much of yourself to give and that is a sacred resource and you are the steward of it. You are the steward of you. What do you give yourself to? What do you allow yourself to invest in? And does it lead, is it rooted in life? Or is it simply rooted in the grave? Is it in death? See, there's only so much of you that you can give. And I started the way I did with that prayer because for so many of us, the reason we are tired and the reason we are worn out and the reason we are running on empty is because we have given ourselves to so many different things. And the more you do it, the more it takes your breath away. The more difficult it is to, to inhale. The, the more difficult it is to exhale because we're running at an insane pace. 
one that is unsustainable, one we were not meant to keep up. And so there's a couple of things I want you to walk away with this morning. And it has to do with what we say yes to. Because there are some things we say yes to that are simply destructive. We say yes to things that are rooted in the grave, things that lead to death, that don't give life. Which brings us to Facebook comments. Can I just say they are not helpful? And it is not a place to have political debates. And it's not a place to argue and fight. And honestly, it's a place that probably most of us spend far too much time. It's great to reconnect with people and use it to encourage people but don't use it to tear down because that is simply rooted in the grave. And when we think so many times of things that are destructive and things that kill and destroy life, we think of big things. We think of the adultery or we think of pornography addiction. We think of um, drugs and alcohol. We think of all these these huge, what we would call huge sins. But they don't begin there. They begin with the little things that we tend to overlook. They begin with complaining. Some people like to complain. And they like to complain about everything. And they like to complain to you about everything. And if you are a complainer, Stop. Why would you give yourself to something that does not lead to life? Because not only is it killing the people you are complaining to, it's killing you. Or the anger. See, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount doesn't begin with don't kill people. He he starts with don't be angry. Because eventually, that anger that you overlook leads to this. It's not just simply don't have an affair. It's don't lust, because eventually that lust that you overlook leads to this. Don't don't envy, because eventually that leads to stealing. That constantly, throughout Scripture, it's not don't do this. And don't do this and do this because you're afraid. It's don't do this because you have given yourself to this which leads to life. What have you given yourself to? Because there is only so much of you to go around. And so we say yes to things that are simply destructive. The second one is more difficult. And it's simply saying yes also means you're saying no. This is where it gets more difficult. Because a lot of times we say yes to really good 
things. But by saying yes to something good, you are inevitably saying no to something else. Yes, I can work on this project because it's going to lead to a promotion, but inevitably I am saying no to my family. Because it's going to take me more time and more energy and more effort. You can say yes to something that is good, but is still because of the allure of the seductive woman. You can say yes to that tree of knowledge and good and evil, that tree that's rooted in death its roots stretch down to the grave, even though it's a good thing, because in saying yes to that good thing, you're saying no to something that is greater. And that's where it gets tricky. Because you have to learn and you have to understand, not everything and everyone is the most important. And that's a difficult distinction. If you are married, your relationship with your spouse is more important than any other relationships that you have. If you are a parent, your relationship to your children is more important than any other relationship with other kids that you have. You have this responsibility to choose what is more important, even though what is still there may be good. But you have to choose what is better, and not everything and everyone can be the most important. See, we've confused, and we've talked about this before, we confuse the urgent and the important. The urgent is what we see and is vying for our time and pulling us away. It's the seduction. And then there's the important. There's that which gives life. That's what leads to life. And we are seduced every single day. See, personally, I find myself far too often giving myself to far too many things. And they are always, it seems, good things. And they're things that need to be done. And they're important things. But the problem is, they're not the most important thing for me. And that's a difficult, difficult distinction. You look at the life of Jesus. How many times he focused on an individual when there was a crowd that he could have focused on there. There, There's a woman who is caught in adultery and they bring her and put her at the feet of Jesus and he has all these people around him that he can speak to, but yet he connects with her. And he's preaching a sermon and they rip a hole through the roof and in the middle of this message they drop someone down who's paralyzed and Jesus gives up speaking to the crowd to focus on the individual there are 5000 people who are gathered around Jesus and they're hungry and they need to eat and instead of preaching them a message he gathers these 12 men around him and says you go and feed them 
that it would have been so much easier for him to say, no, it's so much more important for me to focus on all these people. But yet he focuses on the one. He focuses on the few over the many. He chooses something that is better over something that is simply good. And the wisdom tradition would simply say, choose wisely. Choose wisely, because if you don't, you are going to find yourself constantly running and constantly tired, trying to choose what to do next, and there is always something greater that you can give yourself to than simply what you want. And the seductive woman will try in every way to make you busy with good things so that you give up on something that's greater. And that is a difficult distinction. How often did Jesus when there were people to minister to. Step back and a step away to go to pray. Or, or on the cross, where it seemed like the good thing would be to stay and be able to preach and teach and do something to save people individually. He let his life go so that he could do what was greater. There was a lot of good that he could do, but there was something greater that he could give his life to. And as his follower, that is what you were called to. To not simply invest in things that are good, but to invest your life in things that give life. Things that aren't rooted in the grave. And the seductive woman from Proverbs will be there every step of the way trying to convince you that there's something better to give your life to. Trying to convince you that there is life to be found here. That there is something redemptive here. And it is not. And little did that person know, this would end in his death. So you have these two trees. And everything else in the garden leads to life. But then there's this one tree, and you cannot eat of it. And if you do eat of it, you will die. You're not going to die. Listen, you're not going to die if you work and work and work and neglect your family. You're not going to die if you give yourself to a hobby that, that encourages you and builds you up and lifts you up and helps you, you're not going to die from it. But listen, that is the seduction. That is the one that came to kill, still, and destroy. And Jesus says that I've come to give you life and to give it abundantly. Not so that you look at your life with these do's and don'ts, can't do this, can't do this, can do this, can do this, not this. But simply to say, of the things that I'm giving myself to, what are the ones that lead to life? 
and what are the ones that lead to death? And we ask that question. Because we think Proverbs is just about not doing bad things. But it's also about not doing good things. So that you can give yourself to greater things. Let me say that one more time. We think Proverbs is just about not doing bad things. But it's also about not doing good things. So you can give yourself to greater things. And the writer of Proverbs would simply say, choose wisely. Because you are the steward of you. You are the only one that can control how you expend your energy. You are the only one that can control what you invest your life in. No one else gets to choose. No one else gets to say except for you. And so choose that which leads to life. That which is rooted in life and not rooted in death. Not rooted in the grave. See, we, we see this. As we talk about our 2030 vision and what we're trying to be, what we're trying to become as a church, as God shapes and molds us and gives us this vision for life, that this is not just simply about trying to keep people out of hell. It's not just don't do this and do this so that you don't go to hell. It's don't do this because you have given yourself to something greater, and this leads to life. And this life is about that kingdom that he is building on earth as it is in heaven. Give yourself to that. Give yourself to what is most important. Say no to the things that are destructive because you know where they lead. Say no to good things because you're saying yes to greater things. You are the steward of you. Father, today, we pray that you would challenge us. We pray that you would change us. We pray that you would give us wisdom as we make difficult decisions in our world, as the allure, the seduction, the destruction of that evil woman, of the one who came to steal, kill, and destroy, the one who was there in the garden, faces us head on every single day. Father, give us strength Keep us from temptation. Deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. If we could help you in any way, if we could pray for you this morning, we're going to have ministry staff shepherds around the back of the auditorium. We would love to just simply pray over you and help you to find life that is in Christ. And if you've never given your life to him, we offer you that invitation as we do every single week. Come, give yourself to him, enter into new life, be made new through the blood of Jesus. Whatever your need, come while we stand and sing. Sing to me of heaven, sing that song.